there was this guy, I was talking at Huachland Hydro one year, and, and this guy was there, and he came up to me afterwards, and he said, like, I'm here to help me recover from alcoholism. I don't want to go to rehab. I've just come to detox my body. What can I do to stop caving alcohol? And I said, right, this is what you've got to do. Every morning you get up and you have as much fruit and a nice handful of raw nuts or seeds with it. Just eat as much fruit as you can stuff your face full. It doesn't have to be early in the morning, but it must be your first meal of the day. And eat as much. I said, if it's a box of mangoes, then eat the box of mangoes. And I've done that, eaten a box of mangoes, an entire watermelon. And you might do that for three months, and eventually what happens is you end up eating one mango, and it's really sweet. So I said to him, just stuff your face full of glucose, and every t- of natural glucose, fresh fruit. And I said, every time you crave alcohol, just reach out for some dates or some raisins or even like a 100% pure grape juice or a, you know, have sparkling grape juice. Um, it satisfies your cells' needs for glucose, and that craving will stop. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. We believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking alone. So we're all about community. We're about keeping each other on track. Each week we feature a community voice just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our WhatsApp groups. My Friday win is the subtle, exquisite joy I feel waking up early, feeling at peace, feeling whole and knowing my body is free from alcohol. And this is how I'm meant to be. I feel like a child again, whole, complete, ready for the day, not slow, poisoned and fighting myself. So if you want to join our tribe and connect with others on this path, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. So let's get to my guest. Today I'm interviewing a lady who's pretty well known here in South Africa. Her name is Marianne Shearer. Now, Marianne is a woman before her time. She wrote a book called The Natural Way more than 20 years ago. And only now is the way of life that she advocates going mainstream. And apart from being an author, Marianne is a motivational speaker and she runs a very successful vegan restaurant as well as running natural health programs. I began by asking Marianne to tell us a bit about herself. I had serious health problems, which included being bipolar. I had kids that had ear infections, tonsillitis, runny noses. I had a husband that was high blood pressure. So we had these kind of, I call them normal health problems, because it wasn't like the big three, cancer, heart disease, and diabetes. It was just all this like niggly stuff that was affecting our relationships and was affecting the way 
how we function from day to day. And I have always been interested in the human body. I probably I might have become a doctor, but I'm I'm glad I didn't because it made me look for answers in other places. So I was fascinated with the human body. I studied physiology, anatomy, and chemistry, and did the sciences. And I was fascinated with how the human body worked. So when us we started having these problems, and we were being treated in traditional medical way with um, you know, anti-inflammatories and antihistamines. I had allergic uh, dermatitis on my hands, and the kids with antibiotics. I just it didn't make any sense because nobody actually got well. All it did seem to do was suppress symptoms, and then they'd come back two weeks later. And I saw this. I thought, I've got to find answers. So this was long before the era of Google. That really dates me. Um, I couldn't just go and do a search on Google. And the closest I got to Google was on several occasions sneaking into the Fitz Medical Library in Johannesburg. And, um, yeah, trying to find answers there and looking up books in the archives and, and it's just like nobody really had answers to my questions. So I had to find them myself. And I really believed because I could see this, you know, your body actually repairs itself. If you cut your finger, it repairs itself. You don't need to go and, you know, cast a spell over it or go to the doctor. My fingers cut itself. Please, can you draw? I mean, unless you chopped your finger off, you'd want it back on. But just a cut finger, a paper cut. It irritates you, it hurts, but you don't, it just eventually repairs itself. And and if you study the human body like I did, you find out that the liver, you can actually cut half your liver out, remove it entirely, donate it to somebody else, give the small lobe to somebody else and the big lobe will grow. And then you've donated your small lobe, that lobe will grow back. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing. And yet when it comes to liver cancer, you're told there's no cure for it, you're going to die. Well, you would because you're going to be given all these drugs and your liver's sick and your liver will just get sicker and pack up, then you will die. So I was looking for ways to correct, the, for us, looking for the causes and then I was trying to fix the causes. And I did find that nutrition made a huge difference when I changed my diet. I took out refined sugar and my bipolar symptoms went. My crazy periods of manic, the unbelievable highs where I could take on the world and I was going to change the world. I'm actually by nature a very idealistic person and my mission in life is I want to change the world one person at a time. I want to get them healthy and I've got this goal to reach a million people. I wrote a book called The Natural Way. It came out in 1991. It was a runaway bestseller, according to the publishers, and it sold, as I say, over 300,000 copies. It's been published in the United States. The funny thing is it seems to be taking off now. It was first published in the States in 2005, I think. <laughs> it's like 15 years now. It's suddenly getting traction. So yeah. it's like... You know, if it does take off and I happen to reach the New York Times bestseller, nobody can ever say it was an overnight success. I've been at this for 30 years. So, well, you were a woman before your time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I'm on a mission to really help people. If I can get rid of my bipolar symptoms and be completely sane um, and and think straight and have a brain and a, and, and a bowel, you know, bowels and a bladder that works properly all the time and be living in that sweet spot of health, then anybody can do it because I had terrible problems, Janet. Marianne, take me back to you just mentioned alcoholic parents. So it, that, that intrigued me, uh, wondering if that was one of the reasons why you wanted to research into health and lead a healthier lifestyle. 
was that a bit of a trigger? I, I think it. I think it was. I think you know. Even um, I mentioned to you some one time that I once tried to get drunk when I was fourteen and drank my mom's carafino wine and didn't like the way I felt. I felt out of control, and I think that sense of not being in control of my immediate environment. And I wouldn't say I'm a control freak, but I needed to, everything to be calm and working properly and orderly. I have the sense of order. I think that comes from growing up in the chaos of alcoholic parented home. And my mom was a party animal. She was, I would say, a functional alcoholic. She could party all night and go to work the next day, and she was absolutely fine. My father, however, party all night, and then he wouldn't work for six months. And that was, you know, he'd work for six months and then not work for six months to a year or two years. So we grew up with that sort of chaotic, and then my parents got divorced because my mother said she had four kids. She didn't need a fifth one. <clears throat> my father married somebody who was just as crazy as he was, you know, do things like pour petrol over my stepmother and threaten to set her alight. <laughs> it was crazy stuff. That chaos does, makes you want to live an orderly life. The, the thing that really got to me when I was a kid, my mom had this medical encyclopedia and I would pour over it at the age of four and look at all these gory pictures of people with goiter, you know, this enlarged thyroid gland that was like the size of a pumpkin in their necks and these open wounds. And I'd sit there and cringe and kind of not want to look at them, but it fascinated, the human body fascinated me from a very, very early age. And my mom was kind of forward thinking as much as she was a party animal. She told us we couldn't chew gum or drink fizzy cold drinks because our brains would fry, and, and we weren't allowed to read comic books either. So I had the sense of trying to do the right thing. Um, I think it also grows up with, you know, you grow up with a parent that's a bit narcissistic. I think alcoholism, in a sense, is a narcissistic habit because you're just caring about poor me and myself, and I'm trying to numb my pain, you know, and you're not thinking about the responsibilities of life. You know, growing up with it, I had the sense that I wanted to please my mom and do the right thing. So I was considered the goody two-shoes in the family, you know, just always trying to do the right thing. And, and and if I had to take it back to it, I probably was a need to just have order in my life. Um, I feel like yeah, things weren't as chaotic as they seemed. We moved a lot as, as you know, doing a geographic alcoholic parents do that. Things don't work, you just move somewhere else. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Yeah, you know, by the time yeah, I've I've come across those, those yeah. kind of two different reactions when people have um, alcoholic parents. They either do what what you did and react against the chaos and want control and order in their life, or they they tend to say, "Well, you know, it's in the family. I'm bound to be like that as well," and then they they almost kind of give up yeah. and, and start drinking as well. So um, is that been your experience as well? Do you think people tend to go yeah, definitely. one of two ways? Definitely. I yeah. had a sister yeah. who was a party animal and, and two brothers that partied hard. I mean, they crashed a few cars when they were inebriated. And thank God they've grown up and grown out of it. And um, they're very sober, very hardworking. My two brothers especially, very sober and very hardworking. Um, and, and I just think – I think what you you learn is the learned behavior, certainly if I look at myself, is that I may not have been addicted to alcohol, but I was very addicted to sugar. So I had that addictive side to me that I needed mm -hmm. to, the sugar made me feel good in that space. So I suppose in a sense, I was doing much what people do with alcohol. When I was feeling unhappy or I was feeling sad or I was feeling like I'd done something well, I would reward myself or console myself with sugar, whether it was fudge or 
candy or cakes or ice cream. It didn't really matter how much. As I said, even plain sugar straight out of the sugar bowl. As I got older, I became health conscious, so I thought if I made fudge using brown sugar, that was really good. But, yeah, that, that, that need, that sense of, of you know, you, you don't, you don't, you're not parented properly as if you're growing up in an alcoholic home. So you learn those behaviors that, that it's okay to satisfy yourself or fulfill that need with a something, you know, with some people it could be gambling or pornography or with me it was sugar and, and food. I was a compulsive overeater. And the only reason I wasn't like clinically obese is I've always been physically very active. And, and if I was not eating properly and exercising, I wouldn't ever sleep. I would, and I think that looking at having dealt with so many people in our family and and with people I've met over the years, that alcohol sometimes puts people to sleep. It just eventually knocks you out, so you eventually do sleep. When you've got that very active brain, we're not taught how to look after our brain. How what does alcohol do to the brain? What does caffeine do to the brain? So one minute we're drinking coffee over here, and then. That's like overstimulating our central nervous system, make all your nerve cells fire very rapidly. And then you're having alcohol to, because that's a natural depressant, then you're taking the alcohol to calm you down and put you to sleep. And then you wake up the next morning and you're hungover, so you start with the coffee again and the brain goes into overdrive. Then you put lots of sugar into the coffee. So you're just getting on this treadmill. And I think I think if we were taught this stuff about how our body reacted to certain things from when we were kids, part of the reason I started the school is that we would understand how our body worked and actually figure the stuff out pretty soon and make better choices. But that's me probably being idealistic as well, you know. If you were talking to someone that was drinking too far too much and they weren't really aware of what it was doing to their bodies, their brains, what, what would you tell them? How would you summarize the harm that it does to us? Gee, um, the first thing we know is it really damages the central nervous system in the brain. And we've now, there's quite a lot of research showing that Parkinson's disease, which Michael J. Fox got at a really young age, and he has a, he was a big drinker, huge drinker. Everything I've read on him, the alcohol played a big role in his life when he was younger. That can damage your central nervous system. Um, and it doesn't do it alone. You know, it's alcohol and sugar and bad diet and bad living, but alcohol plays a huge role in that. It really affects... A whole lot of things affects your central nervous system in your brain, so you don't handle stress well. And the less well you handle stress, the more you're going to drink because it just numbs you. You don't have to feel. You can just numb yourself. Um, you stop feeling. And it does encourage narcissistic behavior because it becomes all about my feelings and my stress and my, and I need to numb this. And I mean, we all know this. We would go without food in our house so our parents could drink. And I've seen it in other families. The mother, a single mom, will drink because she's lonely or because she feels a failure or whatever her reasons are, and there'll be no food in the fridge. You know the normal alcoholic fridge, you go and look in it, and it's some milk in there and a piece of cheese, and that's about it if you're lucky. Uh, most fridges don't have food in them, and I know as kids, if there was cheese in our fridge, we would flatten it in like half an hour because we didn't know when else the food was going to come which didn't you know, help but encourage things like a compulsive overeating. So, yeah, central nervous system, that's the one side. The other side that it affects and impacts really badly is the endocrine system, and that's the system that controls every single part of the body, Janet. It controls your liver, your lungs, your kidney, your digestive tract, your muscle tone, your sleep, your menstrual cycles, your fertility, 
there's nothing it's not in your breathing, your lung function, your hair growth, your nails, your skin. It, it, it affects every single part. The endocrine system produces hormones in different parts of the body, and those hormones make chemical reactions take place, which make the body function properly. Now, if alcohol is interfering with that function, because what it does is it actually pushes your blood sugar up really, really high. So you feel like good on alcohol. Whoa. And then your blood sugar overproduces, your body produces, overproduces insulin because you're about to go into a diabetic coma and die and your body's designed to repair itself. So it overproduces the insulin, brings it all the way back down. And as it starts to slide back down, you're feeling really tired. You might go and sleep and pass out if it gets really bad. Um, and then you you – you might have something like coffee or tea or another drink to try and raise your blood sugar again. So when your blood sugar fluctuates like that, you're affecting your brain and central nervous system, your endocrine system, and your immune system. And you and you can understand they're not explaining this very well with the whole COVID-19. They're saying people are drinking and, and having car accidents. But alcohol suppresses immune function. That's what it does. So the government, instead of educating everybody and showing us adverts over and over, which I think would help better than just locking everybody down and telling you, you know, you can't touch alcohol. You know, it's so ridiculous. You can't buy alcohol during the on the weekends. So everybody just buys way more on a Thursday and a Friday. It's like bizarre. So, you know, and every restaurant selling wine under the counter to their clients, you know, because they can't make money selling food during lockdown. It was bizarre to see the activities that were going on. But at the end of the day, I think if we understood exactly what it does and how it suppresses immune function, we might take these things a little bit more seriously than being sort of wrapped on the, the knuckles. It's like educate people, like go out there yeah, and yeah. teach them this stuff. So the other thing that it does, and this is a fascinating, it, refined sugar does exactly the same thing as alcohol does, just alcohol does it worse. Um, there's something called reactive hyperglycemia, which when the blood sugar shoots up too high, we overproduce insulin and it brings it right down, so down, so far down your blood sugar that the part of the brain, your frontal lobe that controls moral behavior, planning, and forethought, well, that just shuts down completely, okay? And the part of the brain that takes over is the part of the brain that controls aggression, appetite, and sexual function. And, and I think this is probably really, really important to help people understand these blackouts that they have. So you can have a blackout, but you're not passed out. You're just living life. I mean, I know of a girl that poured wax all over herself, hot wax in that state. Couldn't remember how she got burnt from this wax. She took all her clothes off and did this. And it was only because the people that were there told her what she'd done. She could not believe she did something like that. I had a woman that came and spoke to me because... I was when I speak, I often speak about the stuff because it had played such a role in my life and how important it is to make sure you're getting the right kind of glucose, which I'll talk about in a while. And she came up to me afterwards, she said, I'm too embarrassed to raise my hand and tell you what I do, but can I speak to you privately? And I said, Yeah, sure. And I can understand once she told me the story. She said, I'm I've got to tell you, I'm a very, very committed Christian person. I go to church regularly. My husband's actually involved in the leadership of the church. We go to Bible study on Wednesday nights. We go to between one and three services on a Sunday. We're involved in the charitable work and stuff. But she says, periodically, I wake up in another town or another suburb in a strange man's bed, and I have no recollection of how I got there. And I said to her, do you consume alcohol? And she said, no, I don't. I said, are you a sugar addict? And she said, yes, I'm a total sugar addict. And it does to the brain what alcohol does. 
where you just black out completely. Obviously, you've got to be extreme amounts of sugar to do this. But alcohol does the same thing. You drink extreme amounts, you binge drink, and the next thing you wake up and you're in somebody else's bed and like, how the hell did you get there? And then the shame of all of that is worse and you start drinking again and this whole thing goes on. So what happens is when that primitive brain takes over, you're either going to get aggressive you're going to just eat and eat and eat. Your appetite's just going to, just nothing's going to be enough. Or you could, your sexual function could take over and you become extremely promiscuous. And that's like clearly very dangerous because besides possibility of fathering or, you know, mothering a child, um, you could em- end up with terrible sexual diseases. So it's it's a huge problem, and people don't know this until somebody like me comes and tells them, and nobody studies this because, well, you take the average psychologist or psychiatrist or doctor, they're studying medicine and how to treat you when you're sick with medicine and surgery. They're not looking at what is the cause of all these problems, and very often it's a physiological or physical cause, and, and nutrition is something that's kind of just ignored. And that, that study was done with a reactive hyperglycemia. It was done by a woman called Barbara Reed Stitt. She lived in the United States and operated in several municipal areas. And she was in charge of the juvenile delinquents and criminal, um, juvenile delinquent and, and the prisoners, the adult prisoners and the, and the juvenile delinquents. And she found that of them, something like 93% of the people that she'd worked with suffered from this reactive hyperglycemia. And in that state of blacked out, where you can't remember what went on, people will kill their family. They'll kill their children. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, they will beat somebody into a coma. Uh, they'll be do the most, they'll, they'll commit a crime and they have no recollection. And of course, when you're committing a crime or doing something, people are like, yeah, it's easy to say you lost your mind and you can't remember. But it's an actual condition where you have no recollection of what went on. It's completely blacked out. So Yeah, apparently uh, there's many people in jail that have done that, you know, had a blackout, killed somebody, really? and, um, and they've woken up in jail, no recollection yeah. at all. Many people in jail. I mean, can you imagine? It's, it's horrendous. Yeah, yeah. But blackouts are very common, you know, in our community. We talk about them. Lots of people have blackouts. I used to have, uh, have them as well. In fact, my my kind of rock bottom, as I call it, was a walking, talking blackout because uh, I was with some friends for an afternoon and apparently I seemed quite normal. You know, I was walking around talking. We'd walk quite a long way together and I had no recollection. I mean, we'd been drinking since breakfast and and had plenty to drink, but it had just tipped me over the edge uh, and I lost an entire afternoon. And, you know, I used to have blackouts where the end of the evening was a bit fuzzy and I didn't quite remember how I got home maybe, but this one was really serious. And I hated the idea of that walking, talking blackout. And the fact that my brain was so soaked in alcohol, it couldn't even make memories. I think that's that's what happens as well. Operating in this primitive It's absolutely terrifying. And here's the thing that people don't understand, Janet, is that your cells and your body are designed to consume glucose. Nothing works in your, in your, at cellular level. You've got 37 trillion cells in your body. They desperately need glucose. They need it to make ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which, which is what creates energy. Your mitochondria desperately need that. Your, every little organelle, your endoplasmic reticulum, these tiny little things inside these cells that you can't even see with your naked eye, it needs 
glucose. Your brain and central nervous system can't work without glucose. And if you're not getting enough, you're going to crave alcohol or sugar. And Barbara Reedstead said, when you feed children refined sugar growing up on any level, she said you're actually preparing them for alcoholism because they get into the cycle of their blood sugar going up and it coming down and they feel that the sugar satisfies it. And then you you graduate from a kid to an adolescent or a young, a young person in your 20s where sitting and stuffing your face with ice cream and chocolates is not like – it's kind of infradig. So, well, now you have a drink and it does what sugar did to you and now you recognize that except that the alcohol gives you even a better feeling takes you higher, just drops you lower. So if we understood that we need, need proper glucose for our bodies, natural glucose, and, and so often when I've done a talk, I actually say to the audience, and I remember doing this one year um, at a secretary's convention at Sun City outside Johannesburg. There were probably 500 people there, um, women. And I said to them, okay, if you – do any of you crave sugar? And they've just everybody put their hand in. I said, when you're craving sugar, what is it that you put into your mouth? What is it you put? And what is it that you're actually craving? And and I, to get the point across, I said, imagine yourself in the Garden of Eden and you're craving something sweet. What would you eat? And there was this deathly silence and this woman, blonde, voluptuous woman sitting in the front row, she says in this deep voice, Adam. And every time I ask that question, I think of this woman. It was really funny at the time. But it's just so interesting because I've asked that question in Los Angeles. I've asked it in the Republic of Hout Bay. I've asked it in Zimbabwe. I've asked it in the UK. I've asked it all over the place when I've asked these questions. I've asked it in Las Vegas and in Florida and in, you know, it's just Connecticut. I've been all over the place speaking to people. I ask the question, how many of you crave sugar? They put their hands up. What is it that you eat? They'll tell you ice cream, chocolates, biscuits, candy. It doesn't matter. It's refined sugar. And some people will say, I drink alcohol. I Some people say to me, I never crave sweet things. And I say, hmm, do you drink alcohol? And they say, yes, I enjoy my glass of wine or two or a bottle and you very often find people that consume alcohol have no craving for sweet things whatsoever until they stop drinking. And then, unfortunately, a lot of the organizations, I know AA does this because I read the big book, you've got to keep candy on you and chocolate bars in your pocket. And every time I remember reading that and thinking, every time my dad stopped drinking and he'd get on the wagon, his pockets would be full of spearmints and 3X mints, and any sweetie things and jelly babies. And I knew I could sidle up to him and put my hand in his pocket and find some sweeties for me. I was his little addict. And and the unfortunate thing is that refined sugar is just a slightly weaker version of what alcohol does. So it's not solving the problem. And I've tested this so many times, Janet. There was this guy I was talking at Huachland Hydro one year. Every year I spoke at that hydro every Tuesday for 10 years. That was me putting in my 10,000 hours. And, and this guy was there, and he came up to me afterwards, and he said, like, I'm here to help me recover from alcoholism. I don't want to go to rehab. I've just come to detox my body. What can I do to stop caving alcohol? And I said, right, this is what you've got to do. Every morning you get up, and you have as much fruit and a nice handful of raw nuts or seeds with it. Just eat as much fruit as you can stuff your face full. It doesn't have to be early in the morning, but it must be your first meal of the day. And eat as much. I said, if it's a box of mangoes, then eat the box of mangoes. And I've done that, eaten a box of mangoes, an entire watermelon. 
And you might do that for three months, and eventually what happens is you end up eating one mango, and it's really sweet. Like, I love dates. I used to eat a kilogram in a day when I changed from refined sugar over to natural sugar. But now it'll be like two or three dates in a month, maybe five, if, you know, they're really nice, those fresh ones with the seeds in them. And and I just, I, it's because my cells are satisfied with the glucose. My brain is getting the glucose I need, my my central nervous system's getting the glucose. So I said to him, just stuff your face full of glucose and every t- of natural glucose, fresh fruit. And I said, every time you crave alcohol, just reach out for some dates or some raisins or even like a 100% pure grape juice or, a, you know, have sparkling grape juice. Um, it satisfies your cells' needs for glucose and that craving will stop. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. A lot of people, you know, say to us, oh, you know, I'm craving. And to be fair, we, we actually say to people, well, maybe, you know, have, have some sweets or chocolate for a while and deal with that one later. But I think, you know, after hearing your advice, I think it's it makes even more sense just to, to try and eat lots of fruit and forget the sweets. Well, I must tell you about this guy because he went and did what I told him to do. And I met him, I came back, he came back there about three months later and he came up to me and he said, I just want to tell you that when I saw you here, I'd lost my family, my wife and my kids had left. I'd lost my business, had to shut the business down because I destroyed it. And it was like literally three months later and he said, I came here because I wanted to, I wanted to just like come back and talk to Dr. Andre Kruger and just thank him and I wanted to thank you. And he said, I went and did what you told me to do, and I haven't craved alcohol once. And I was able to actually get my life back together. I put my business back together. I got my family back together. And he said, I've never been this happy in my life. And that's just eating lots of fresh fruit. As much you never you don't limit it. And unfortunately, there's so much nonsense spoken about this. People will tell you that sugar in any form causes cancer, and that's the biggest load of rubbish. There's absolutely no scientific basis for that whatsoever. Um, they use the fact that you, when you track cancer cells, you put fermented sugar that's radioactive into the body and it goes to the tumors first, but it also goes to the brain. So it goes to the brain and to the tumors. Yeah, because tumors are sugar hungry. Um, but that's that's refined sugar that's fermented and it's radioactive. You put fresh fruit in there, actually all those antioxidants nail those cancer cells. So it's a stupid thing to say. Lots of fresh fruit. And then you've got to exercise. It's very important. Right. And the reason for exercise, it stabilizes your blood sugar. It gets your endocrine system working properly again. gets the brain and central nervous system. And you can't, I mean, I just, I've got a program for 100 days, to called 100 Days to Health. I get people going out and doing five minutes a day. The thing is not to just get out there and go to the gym for two hours a day because you don't only need exercise, you need sunlight or natural light. It doesn't have to be sunlight, even if it's overcast. You get outside and you exercise. Now, what happens is 16 to 18 hormones are going to be regulated every time you exercise for 20 minutes or more. But you start with five minutes a day because everybody's excuse for not exercising is they don't have time. 
and you do five minutes and you do that for a whole week or a month till you've got the habit of it. Same time every day, go to the gate and back. When it's a habit and you're just feeling it's comfortable and it's coming naturally, you can increase it to 10 minutes. And then you go to 15 and then you go to 20. And who knows, you might be running a triathlon, but you don't need to. You need 20 to 30 minutes every day. You eventually find that twice a day is almost better for you in the mornings and the evenings. It really helps. At the end of the day, I think when people are most at risk and they want to drink, that's when you go out for a walk. And I've seen this work with so many addicts. Go out. Every time you're craving something, go out and for a walk. If you can't get on a bicycle or just just put your flat, comfortable shoes on. You don't have to change your clothes. Just go for a walk. And that has a huge difference. It calms down the brain and central nervous system, stabilizes the blood sugar, gets that endocrine system working properly. Everything just starts to work. And suddenly you feel better. And you don't need to have a something to make you feel better. You went and walked. So walking is important. Natural light's important. Natural light, you have a little gland behind your eyes in the in the middle of the brain. If you had to drill here between your eyes and down the middle, you get to a little pea-sized gland called the pineal gland. That gland regulates melatonin and serotonin, which is completely upside down when you're an alcoholic. You don't sleep properly. When you do sleep, it's because you passed out. Otherwise, you can't sleep at all. So your whole sleep cycle gets disturbed when you, when you consume alcohol. So when you regulate that pineal gland, what it does is produces very little melatonin during the day, which keeps you alert and focused. And then the minute the sun sets, your melatonin levels will go up and you'll want to go to sleep nicely. You'll have a good, solid sleep. However, if you're not getting outdoor light, and I'm talking about, I see you wear glasses. If you walk outside with glasses over your eyes, whether they're sunglasses or prescription lenses, you block the UV rays from getting into the eyes. And the UV rays is what triggers that little gland and helps to regulate the serotonin Serotonin, incidentally, makes you feel happy. So if you're suffering from depression, which is very common with alcohol, you need exercise, you need natural light, and you need natural sugar. Those are the things I would start with, those three things. Over and above that, I'd say you need more alkaline-forming foods that have contain antioxidants. So do things like um, start all your cooked meals with some raw fruit or vegetables. doesn't matter whether it's breakfast, lunch, supper, or a midnight snack. Raw food first. And I do this with my hand spread out, the size of your hand spread out. So it's like a side plate full before you eat anything. You go to a restaurant, have a small salad or a plate of sliced tomatoes or a glass of carrot juice, anything raw. You get into the habit of doing that. It helps your immune system, your brain, your central nervous system, and your endocrine system. And, and that's, that's a good place to start other than moving towards more natural, whole food, plant-based, like whole wheat bread instead of white bread. White bread... It's good for pouring mess through for people that live on the street and want to get rid of the purple color of the mess and drink it. <laughs> There's nothing in white bread that's beneficial to anybody. It's like a lump of gluey glucose. It's a terrible thing. White and refined processed grains are not going to help you recover because they they actually they actually to to process glucose you've got to have B vitamins. And refined and processed foods and alcohol destroy B vitamins. And the B vitamins are essential for your brain to work properly. And it's pointless taking it in a supplement. You're going to pee it straight into the toilet, strain your kidneys, strain your bladder, and the side effects to every single supplement you take that's got vitamins and minerals in it. So your best way to get your B vitamins is in whole grains, fresh fruits, vegetables. Just eat the things in their natural states. Don't eat them processed. I mean, brown rice, short grain brown rice made is delicious. There's no reason to go and eat white rice. Whole wheat bread is delicious. Why eat the white stuff? It's just 
makes your teeth stick together. So it's it's returning to a more natural way. And I do find people with alcohol problems do need they need a creative outlet. That's very important. They need to either stick their hands into the soil. They need to walk barefoot on yeah. the grass. They've got to paint. They've got to express themselves with music or dance or art or something. The, the, uh, alcoholics are not stupid people. They've got amazing brains, and it's part of the problem. You, you drink alcohol, it calms your brain down, and you don't overthink everything. But if you start to actually engage that brain and use it, I think that every alcoholic in the world would change the world dramatically and make the world a better place, which is what I believe we're here on earth to do. When people stop drinking you know, in our community, they, they take up painting, they, they do conscious dance, they start writing. So, yeah, so Marianne, I wanted to ask you, any thoughts on alcohol and the menopause? I mentioned earlier on that alcohol upsets the endocrine system just like refined sugar does, and that's the system that controls your reproductive function, which is you stop menstruating and everything falls apart. If you don't want to have hot flushes and you don't want to gain weight around your middle and you don't want to lose your mind like many women feel they're doing when they go through menopause and you don't want to lose your libido and end up with a dry vagina, excuse me, guys, if you're listening in, but that's real life, okay? common side effect and it's a reason enough to not drink ever again in your life ladies because there's nothing better than postmenopausal or even menopausal sex here's the thing you've got alcohol on one side your right hand or your left hand and you've got a healthy menopause a healthy woman goes through the menopause with no hot flushes her brain's working brilliantly nothing dries out including the eyeballs uh, dry eyes is a big problem your body just functions beautifully. You just stop menstruating and nothing else happens. But if you want to go through a rough menopause, then keep drinking because that's what you're going to have. And you can take hormone replacement therapy and get breast cancer. And that's one of the things that never comes up with it. If you consume uh, more than four liters of alcohol in a month, we're talking about wine specifically, which has not got the highest alcohol content, I worked it out. It's less than a small wine glass per day of alcohol, okay? If you're consuming more than that in a month, the chances of developing breast cancer increases by 33%, and it's very high. And every woman I've ever dealt with that had breast cancer, I say to them, do you consume alcohol? I only have an occasional glass of alcohol. It's one of the risk factors for breast cancer. Puts you at risk. Your immune system... Yeah, I had breast health. cancer and... Um I'm sure it was um, because of my drinking. But I, I must tell you, I went when I had my chemotherapy, etc. Thankfully, I, I got through it all. But when I um, had my final appointment, I said to the oncologist, uh, okay, well, I don't want to go through this again. How can I stop it coming back? You know, any tips? Should I uh, change my diet? Should I stop drinking alcohol? And he said, no. He said, you've, you've come through this now. You go away and enjoy your life. Mm. Eat and drink whatever you want. And that was back in 2006 when you didn't hear so much about alcohol being linked to seven different types of cancer. But uh, I do wish that doctors, you know, some doctors would educate their patients a bit more. Because if he'd said to me, you stop drinking and you're, you're going to be far safer um, from a recurrence, then I'm sure I would have done. But I just carried on for another good few years. <laughs> I, I, and that's the, that's the reality of it. You know, it's 
it's all very well to say that doctors need to educate us, but at the end of the day, they're not educated as far as health goes. They're educated as far as right. you have a symptom, I have medicine or surgery. To, they, they're doctors of medicine. That's what they study. And I have many doctors who are very good friends of mine, and they say, Marianne, we've just never studied nutrition at all. It's not part of our curriculum. We look at, the, we look at diseases. That's what we're studying all the time. We don't even look that much at how the human body can repair itself. We just look at diseases and what are you treated with? What drug or what surgery? And that's what we know. So we can write out scripts. And I think it's important that we realize that. I mean, if you're in a car accident, the first person you need is a doctor. If you've got a headache, why do you have a headache? You're probably dehydrated because you're consuming alcohol and you're just not drinking enough water. So you know, we need to start to – we need to know how our bodies work so we can treat them with better respect. We Actually, alcoholism just like the ultimate – alcoholism and drug addiction. Any, any addiction, that, are, that whether it's compulsive overeating or compulsive chocolate eating and candy eating, it's treating your body with the utmost disrespect. And we do it usually because we have no clue. We have no clue how well this body actually works. We think, well, we'll just – take a painkiller because we take alcohol to kill the pain so I'll just take a painkiller on top of that and that to me is the saddest thing yeah. that we don't actually under we don't we're not educated our education should happen at school and we, we're not we're told drink milk and eat uh, yogurt and make sure you're eating a piece of chicken or steak or fish for your protein and for the rest of it do whatever you want to and even that advice is upside down you know the a Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine is now suing the dairy industries. They're putting a case together to start suing the dairy industries because we now know that breast cancer's two factors is alcohol and dairy products, big factors with with uh, breast cancer and prostate cancer as well. So, um, yeah, I think at the bottom line, if I think of it, is, you know, alcoholics are smart. They can figure this thing out. If they just start studying their bodies they'll start saying hey i'm just not doing a smart thing here i actually and it's not a nice way to go i mean parkinson's disease is one of as i say one of the side effects of alcoholism liver cancer is another one it's just there's so many horrible ways to die there are better ways to die like in your sleep at 102 after you've been water skiing i always think of the the blue zones people where they live the healthiest the longest living people that are the healthiest um, they might have a glass of wine in Sardinia once a week, but most of them are not consumers of alcohol at all. But it's fascinating to watch these guys. You can go on Google. I mean, they're 102 and they're water skiing. I mean, what's not to like about that? A guy is exactly. 99 years old, still riding his scooter and chopping wood, and he's got a great life and he's watched his great grandkids and he still grows his own veggies and walks or goes for walks. There's um, one woman, Marge Vuitton, she's 104, and she still drives her own Cadillac. This is in Loma Linda in Southern California. She drives her own Cadillac, and she's involved in like seven different charitable organizations, you know, looking after poor people. And I'm like, what a, what a way to go. And then when you help you like that, you just go in your sleep. I think, you know, if people can, can do this thing and stop drinking, it's a chance to completely re-educate themselves about their bodies and, and feel better than they've ever felt before. So um, yeah. it could be a whole new beginning. 
you look amazing. And I've seen you in the flesh several times. You're bursting with energy. You look, look much, much younger than you are. And I'd like to know your secrets, please. What do you talk me through a typical day? It sounds weird, but I've taught myself to listen to my body, which is what I teach everybody to do. Listen to your body. And, and interpret the signals correctly. If you're craving alcohol, eat natural glucose. If you're craving candy, have natural glucose, eat the fruit. If you're craving salty things, you need natural fats. That's the kind of thing I teach people. So I sometimes wake up, and so when you say what's a normal day, I sometimes wake up and I'm not hungry at all. This morning I ate, at, today I ate at 12 o'clock, and I had a smoothie, and in that smoothie was frozen pineapples, frozen strawberries, frozen blueberries, frozen dragon fruit, whatever, wherever I had in the freezer. I put in there with some almonds. I might put sesame seed paste called tahini in there, and then I'll dilute that with fresh apple juice, and I put some pea protein in it with vanilla. I blend that up, and I drink it because that's usually at the very productive time of my day is the mornings. I'm working, and I don't want to be sitting down worrying about eating with a knife and fork, so drinking, sipping a smoothie is great. And then I might snack on some apple rings that are dipped in honey or date syrup and rolled in coconut, uh, not coconut, almonds and cinnamon. I had that today, but I didn't have that yesterday. So it depends. And then for supper, I might have a salad or I might eat tomatoes, avocados. My favorite salad right now is tomatoes, avocados, chopped chilies, and I never was a chili lover. Just a little bit, just a hint of it. Um, avos, tomatoes, fresh coriander chilies and I put my garlic and herb salt in there and cumin that's a must you've got to put the cumin in and I'll eat that just as a salad I might have some flax crackers with it but asking me how I eat is like a bit weird because I started 30 years ago and I just started by eating raw before cooked so I'd eat carrots before because I was trying to get more raw food into my body and I was like how do I do this okay we've got to eat raw food before cooked food so we'd eat some fresh fruit before we ate our oats in the morning and then for lunch I'd have provita and cheese in those days I don't do that anymore because gluten doesn't agree with my body I never realized it but it was what caused a lot of skin issues um, so I'd have provita and cheese thinking I'm being very healthy and so before that I would eat a salad or some tomatoes or an avocado and then for supper, we would have the traditional things like vegetables, a salad. I'd have my raw before my cook, then we'd have vegetables and grilled chicken or fish or baked potatoes or a pasta dish. So that's what we used to do. But as I found I added more and more raw food to my diet, um, Mark and I naturally just started eating less and less animal products. And what about exercise? Yeah, I do. In the mornings, we do a walk and then um, – physically quite active because I'm also involved in a school and a restaurant so I'm involved in a lot of different things and then in the evening we normally go for another walk we're lucky enough to live near the beach so we can go and walk it there or we might do some yoga classes we've taken that up recently and we find it's the best thing when you get older and it's like I kind of always avoided yoga classes because I've never been the most supple I can touch my toes that's not a problem but my hip joints from when I was a kid, I could never cross my legs. And I thought, oh, well, I can't. I'm a bad candidate for yoga. But in fact, it's like giving your body a full massage. So I really enjoy that twice a week to get up from that. So it, it, we try and do half an hour to an hour twice a day. If I if I count it in steps, I move at between 10 and 20,000 steps a day. So I keep myself busy. My type of person I am, I need to be physically and mentally active. But I also like downtime. So thank you, Marianne. That was just fascinating. And there's so much good advice there. 
Um, so I'm sure there's many people listening to this that want to learn more about your your teaching. And first of all, let's start with the book, The Natural Way. How can they get hold of The Natural Way? Yeah, it's the title has changed now. It's called Perfect Health, The Natural Way. So we updated it a couple of years ago. And it is available on Amazon um, and in Kindle. So you can order the book on Amazon or you can download it as on, a, on Kindle. Um, and that's available for anybody anywhere in the world. Um, if you are wanting to get a copy posted to you, you can contact us at info at wholeworldwell.com. Um, and that's my mission in life, to make the whole world well. Um, that's one of the books. That got, <laughs> that's the main book. Yeah, and then we've got some programs as well, um, fantastic weekly programs. If you feel like you need to be part of a community, which – I'd, I devised the 100 Days to Health about 12, 10, 12 years ago, and we've had more people do it since lockdown because they support. You're in a WhatsApp group with a facilitator, and you're all able to ask questions and post pictures of the food you're eating, and you're also able to meet with me once a week and ask me questions personally and then hear people's responses and what's happening with them. And that support's been unbelievably invaluable. You know what it's like when you're trying to stop drinking. It works way better if you're in a community. You're trying to out there do it on your own. I've never seen anybody, well, that's me, stop drinking successfully on their own. I've seen the people do it in communities. Yeah. And I love what you're doing because – You've taken it into this century. It's available on, on online and podcasts and Zoom, and and it's so relevant. You know, I mean, I know young people who won't go to the traditional AA classes because their perception is there are a whole lot of like seventy-year-old men that whose fingers are yellow from smoking too many cigarettes, and they're all blue-collar workers. You know, that's a kind of perception. Creepy old men go to AA. But that's just a perception, and that's what I love what you're doing because it's just I find that women feel very safe with your organization, um, and it doesn't matter from what walk of life you come from. It's just like it's just so much more broad-based, and it's so much more holistic, and I love that about what you're doing. Yeah. I really think that oh, you can you. take on um, the world. You're going to make the whole world <laughs> Well, between us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that connection is priceless. You know, I mean, we've got people, as you say, from all walks of life, but there's just an instant bond, you know, because we just get each other. Yeah. Whereas when we're mixing with people who haven't had a drink issue, they're the ones that say, well, surely you can just have one glass of wine, you know, um, but we understand each other. We understand yeah. why yeah. that one glass is a no-no. So there you heard me talking to Marianne Shearer, She's a wonderful advertisement for her way of life. As a woman in her 60s, not only does she look amazing, but she's bursting with energy and creativity. I first read her book, The Natural Way, when it came out years and years ago. And in fact, I implemented some of the principles. But of course, I didn't change my wine habit. So there I was, implementing some really healthy things into my life, but still downing a bottle of wine a night. Oh dear. Anyway, I'm going to reread that book now that I'm alcohol-free. So let me pull out some key points from that conversation. Now there were so many great tips in there, but the biggest one for me was a tip that will actually make me change the advice that I give to people about craving sweet things. 
When people are craving sweets and chocolates when they give up drinking, we say to them, oh, well, just eat what you want for a bit and you can sort, sort that out later. But now that I've spoken to Marianne, I think that's the wrong advice. So if you've given up drinking and you've got that craving for something sweet, then eat plenty of fresh fruit. She advocates eating fresh fruit first thing in the morning and eating a lot of the stuff. I think she, she mentioned a whole box of mangoes if necessary. So don't eat the sweets and chocolates, just eat plenty of fruit and that'll give you the natural glucose, which is what your body needs. And interestingly, after three months of eating those boxes of mangoes, you'll eat one mango and find it really, really sweet. So I think that's definitely worth a try and that's the advice that I'm going to give to people in future. And if you want a reminder of the science behind that advice, just rewind the podcast to the very beginning and you'll hear Marianne's quote. Now Marianne had alcoholic parents and as a result she craves order and control. The first time she actually tasted alcohol she felt out of control and she hated that feeling. And we agreed that children of alcoholics tend to go one of two ways. They're either like Marianne and they want that control or they have a rather defeatist attitude and they think, oh, well, you know, my parents are alcoholics, so I'm going to be an alcoholic. And they, they don't even try an alternative lifestyle. Marianne explained the damage that alcohol does to our endocrine system and how it can make our menopause much more symptomatic than it needs to be. Her theory is that alcoholics are quite clever people and they need a creative outlet when they ditch the drink. And that got me thinking that when drinking is our hobby, we don't have the time and energy to explore what will give us a natural high. And we've seen that again and again in our community. So many people thriving in their alcohol-free life and exploring their creativity. So to enter Marianne's world, I would advise going to the website marianne's.net and having a look around. I'll put all her info in the show notes, but do get a hold of her book, The Natural Way by Marianne Shearer. So before I go, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to all of those who've donated to our January fundraiser. Thanks to the generosity of our donors, we've raised more than 41,000 rand and we've got 100 people doing our alcohol-free January together. It's not too late to join our January challenge. You can sign up anytime up to the 31st of January. So in fact, you can do a dry February if you prefer. After all, it is the shortest month of the year. So to sign up, just make a small donation and we'll provide online and community support for the 30-day window that you've chosen. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this podcast so that we can spread the word about our fundraiser. Our target is 60,000 Rand, which will enable 240 children to receive a whole year of yoga and life skills training. See you next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. 
It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.